Again, we're in uh, Mark chapter 13. We're continuing our series. Uh, We did the first half of the chapter last week, and then we're doing the second half this week. So we're going to pick up in verse 24. So let's give our attention to God's never-changing word. This is Mark chapter 13, verse 24 and following. But in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heaven will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out angels to gather his elect from the four winds, from the end of the earth and the end of the heavens. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch comes tender, comes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things take place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and finds you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. Though a difficult passage, it has purpose, and I know you have purpose for my brothers and sisters in this passage today. So Lord, use me as your humble servant to be a part of that. Lord, help me preach clearly and accurately. I ask in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, um, last week I mentioned, I was just loosely talking about escape rooms. Well, it just so happened, this wasn't planned, that Friday night I got to go to one with Lori and we had a great time. And a friend of ours runs the place and the good news is we escaped with 22 minutes to spare. It was, it was a great time. To brag on Lori, she did a great, you know, I turned around, she's like, oh, look, I opened this thing, and this, I figured this thing out, it was a lot of fun. So we just had a blast solving all these things, it was a Wild Wild West theme. I don't know if you've ever done one, um, it's a great, I thought about doing it for like pre-marriage counseling, it's probably every couple should do one, you'd probably learn a lot, or you'd be in a fight, one of the two. Um, but nonetheless, you know, it was all just a game, wasn't it? Right? We weren't, there was no real concern, they said, you know, if you don't get out, the bad guy might come back. Well, that was all a joke, right? Um, but... This, this passage, as I said last week, many people approach it the same way. This is just a puzzle to solve like an escape room. It's not. It's intended for people who are suffering to bring great comfort. Okay? This is like the real deal. When people are suffering and it's life and death, they need comfort. And so this is kind of, though there is, you're going to feel a little bit like you're in an escape room today. <laughs> that there's problems to solve. And like, well, what does this mean? And what is this referring to? And, and I'm going to try to help you along. Um, but just understand the big picture. This is to comfort you. So my goal is to teach a lot and hopefully in the end that you'll still be able to make application and see where it goes. Um, so, you know, our puzzles weren't that big, but kids, I have a question for you. What's the biggest stone you've ever seen in your life? Like the biggest rock, like, and then they cut rocks, right, to build stuff out of, right? It's like this building, look at that wall there. You see it's made of cinder blocks. They're about this big, right? 
So remember last week our passage started with the Temple Mount. They're walking out and the disciples say, look at those stones. Those are huge, right? All right, um, Mr. Andy and I measured last week, I forgot to tell you, the largest stone that the temple was built on was from that far wall to the end of those stairs, 67 feet. Kids, can you imagine a rock that big? One rock, nine feet by seven feet by 67. That's like the size of a tractor trailer. (laughs) That's what a tractor trailer carries, right? And those are the stones. So you can imagine when Jesus said, hey, just so you know, every one of those rocks is gonna be thrown down. That they're like, uh, what? Right, and so that's how our passage started. And they said two questions. Okay, and I kind of have to, we have to review last week. Some of you weren't here, but also it, it, this, for the second half to make sense, you gotta understand the first half. Okay, so let's continue on last week. Remember the two questions they asked. It's clearer in Matthew than in here. It's in verse four. In Matthew's account, it says this. And he sat on the Mount of Olives. So they've walked from the temple up to the Mount of Olives. The disciples come to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? That's a natural question. If Jesus just said this whole thing's gonna be torn down, they say, when's it gonna be? And second question, what will be the sign of the coming of the end of the age? Okay, two very different things. When is the temple gonna be destroyed and when is the second coming? Okay, two questions. All right, now there's three basic camps of interpretation on this. Let me tell you the three. Okay, the first says this whole chapter is all about the second coming. Okay, every bit of it is all, every, the abomination of desolation, all of that is prophecy about the second coming, okay? It's called dispensational is the name for that. And so they believe it's all about the second coming, okay? Second camp, um, they think all of it is about 70 AD. The whole chapter is about 70 AD. And it's all fulfilled, it's called preterist. Preterist is from the Latin, preter, which means, uh, let me look, I'm past, and I'm a Latin, Latin scholar, past, it means that the the prophecy has already been fulfilled in the past, okay? So preterists, we have dispensational preterists. Well, where are we? We're in the middle. So you've got those two. We say it's actually, they're both partially right. It's partially about the second coming, and it's partially about 70 AD. The challenge is we have to figure out what bucket every chunk goes in, because Jesus keeps hopping back and forth between these two things, because both of these guys have some really big problems. On the one hand, they say everything is about the second coming, but we had that verse that said all this is going to happen in this generation. What do you do with that verse, right? And then on the other hand, they've got Jesus coming in the clouds and collecting the, the elect from forth. You're going to say all that was fulfilled in 70 AD? Do you see the problem? Both have a problem. And so, the, the, so our view is called the classic reform view. Most reform people say, hey, it's a mix of both. Okay, so our task this morning is with each chunk of this, what bucket does it go in? Okay, that's where we're going this morning. Uh, So here's how we're going to break this down. You see your outline on page seven, real simple. First, take comfort. Second, trust Christ. Third, stay awake. Hopefully you guys will need that advice this morning. But yes, please do stay awake during this. Take comfort, trust Christ, stay awake. All right. Oh, one little side bit I forgot last week. One way that we, we have a pretty good idea that it wasn't all about second coming, in the early church, Eusebius, fourth century, he writes and says, the Christians understood this to be about 70 AD, right? The parts of it about abomination, run for the hills, you remember all that, right? That that was about 70 AD. So historically, that's the way it's been understood that some of this actually was already fulfilled. We just say it's not all fulfilled because you got this other stuff. So we're going to get to that. All right, first section, take comfort. So look at 24 through 27. 
Are we going to figure out what bucket are we going to put this in? Okay, so verse 23 ended. He had just talked about 70 AD, right? 23 says this, be on your guard. I've told you all things. That's a key phrase. I'll come back to it beforehand. Then 24, he says, but in those days, after the tribulation, after the 70 AD, the, the suffering of the, the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give light, the stars will fall from heavens, and the powers of heavens will be shaken. Does that sound like 70 AD? It doesn't to me. Now, the, so the, some folks say it is. So let's understand this. This is called cosmic upheaval language. You probably get that where, where it comes, that name comes from, right? The sky's darkened, the, sky, the stars aren't shining, Right? It's kind of like in the old story, the sky's falling. So, doesn't that sound like Revelation to you? Now, the preterist, they say, no, no, wait. Let me tell you something. In the Old Testament, did you know that cosmic upheaval language is actually used to talk about things that happened a long time ago? You're like, oh, I didn't know that. It's true. They're actually right. Did you know that about Pharaoh's death, it spoke in prophecy language like that? Well, the sky didn't fall when Pharaoh died. There's a number of places in the Old Testament where it it uses this colorful language and it's not actually talking about the sky falling. Okay, well, that's a problem for us. Do you see that? Because it's, they can say, well, see, look, it doesn't have to mean that. Maybe all this was in 70 AD. I still think they're wrong, but bear with me. All right, let's talk about genres. From my English majors, you know what genres are? Kids, you know what a genre is? Different literature, right? You all know this. When you're watching TV and a commercial comes on, you're just watching the news, you've just had a genre change, right? You do not listen at the same way you did before. You said, we are not no longer listening to the news. Now this is some nonsense about something they want to sell. Okay, some of you don't watch the news anymore. You're on the internet and you're reading a web article, right? And there's a flashing banner that says, you know, act now, right? You know that's a different genre. Article, web ad, right? Two genres right beside each other. The Bible's like this. The Bible has a lot of genres, and you read different genres differently. Don't you just, you do that in all of life. A lot of people don't do that with the Bible. They're like, it's the Bible. Don't we read all the same? Well, sure, but you've got like a whole bunch of genres. Do you know what genres are in the Bible? Well, we've got history, right? Historical narrative. History is very literal. This happened, then this happened, this happened. You have law, right? The Ten Commandments and stuff, the first five books, okay? So law is a little bit different. Then you have poetry. Poetry is very different. Right? You got in Psalms, that's very different than, say, historical narrative. What else do you have? You have prophecy. Uh, there's a bunch of them. Uh, wisdom literature, letters, all of Paul's letters. Genre matters for interpretation. Let me say that again. Genre matters for interpretation. It's the same when you're watching the news and you get advertisements. You have to know what you're reading and how to read it. Okay, there's, so what about this prophecy? A virgin will be with child. That is a very literal application, right? There was a virgin and she was pregnant with a child, right? Literal. But there's other things that aren't at all. You remember that thing, the dream of Pharaoh? The seven cows, the seven fat cows and the seven, was that about cows? No. Each cow represented a year, right? And so you have to understand that there's some things that are very literal and some things that are symbolic. Here's the last genre that you need to know. Um, Apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic. That's a common word, right? The apocalypse. There's lots of movies that talk about that. It actually is just from the Greek word from Revelation 1.1. The revelation of Jesus. That, that's apocalypsis, the Greek word. And so 
when we, apocalyptic literature, it's parts of Daniel, it's all of Revelation. It's very, very, if you read Revelation, you know you're reading something different, right? That's different than most of the rest of your Bible. There's some parts of Daniel that are that way and other, some of the prophets. And so how do we read that? This very passage that we're reading, parts of it are apocalyptic literature. Those verses I just read to you, that's apocalyptic literature. It said the sky will be darkened, right? So they said, well, there's other things that are fulfilled. And we said, yes, you're right. So how do we know? Because Revelation also talks about the second coming with, a, with um, cosmic upheaval. Are you with me so far? I hope you got your coffee this morning because you have to bear with me. This is, this is tough sledding, but it's important to understand. If you understand this, it's going to help you with a whole genre of scripture. And there's a bunch of it. Okay, so the way we know that it's not 70 AD is the next verses. Look at the next verses. And what does it say? 26. And then they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Now tell me that doesn't sound like the second coming. Jesus coming on clouds. That didn't happen in 7 AD. That happens the second coming. Look at the next verse. And then he'll send out angels to gather the elect from the four winds and the ends of the earth. That also happens in the second coming, doesn't it? He gathers the elect and he takes them. Okay, so in context, we say that first verse, this whole chunk, is about the second coming because of what the, the second two parts of it, okay? So cosmic upheaval, Jesus coming on the clouds, and then the third, he collecting the elect. Are you with me so far? So that, that whole chunk, we're going to say, goes in the second coming bucket. All right, you ready for a twist? Look at the next verse. Oh, let me pause for a second. Before we get to that, well, how do we apply this? Remember, I want to actually make application. This isn't just a lecture on how to interpret your Bible. It, t- it brings comfort. If you are suffering, if you're suffering now, whether it's physical pain, some of you are in physical pain, whether it's relational pain, whether whatever your pain is, Jesus is coming back. He's going to come on the clouds. He's promised, no matter what your suffering looks like, this brought comfort to the people that first read it. It should bring comfort to you. Jesus is really coming back. So that's our first point. Take comfort. Jesus is coming back. Okay, so secondly, where do we go secondly? Trust Christ. Trust Christ. Look at the second chunk. What you're going to see here is when it, when it jumps back and forth, you know, it seems weird that he would say, actually, let me go back for one second, 24, one last note. But in those days after the tribulation, you're like, wait, how can you say after this, then this? This is 70 AD and we're like thousands of years later. Have you ever looked at a mountain range like from 100 miles away? All the mountains look flat, don't they? Right, you have one mountain and a mountain right beside it looks right beside it, right? Now, if you were to go to that top of that mountain, there might be like 100 miles between mountain one and mountain two, right? But if you're looking at them from far away, they look flat. Okay, scriptures like that, particularly apocalyptic literature, that one thing happens and then the next. For all my teenagers, what if your professor, your teacher tells you, you're going to have a midterm and then we're going to have a final. And you raise your hand and you say, in one day we're going to have a midterm and a final? Like, that's a lot of work. They, everyone laughs, right? Like, no, no, no. Just because it, it's the next big thing, right? You have a midterm. The next big thing is the final. This is the same thing. It says after the tribulation of 70 AD, Jesus is going to come back. That's true. That's the next big thing in history. There's just thousands of years between those, okay? So when you're reading this, don't be surprised when Jesus jumps back and forth as if it's happening back to back. Okay, so 28. Trust Christ. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. 
As soon as this branch becomes tender and it puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. We all know this, right? We say the first signs of spring, you see flowers blooming. Okay, now what's weird about this is we have to figure out what bucket are we going to put this chunk in, all right? So you know it's near. Let's keep reading. So also, when you see these things take place, okay, so now let me explain that. These things is kind of a, a key phrase in this whole chapter. Let's go back, all right? And let me, let, let's track it. Back in verse 4, the disciples said, tell us when will these things take place? Okay, they're talking about the stones, right? They just said, he said, the stones are all going to be pulled down. He said, when are these things going to take place, okay? Then in verse 23, after he said, run for the hills when you see um, the abomination of desolation, he says, I've told you all these things beforehand. And then down here, we see it again. He says, so also when you see these things take place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things, there it is again, take place. Okay, we just talked about the second coming, and that certainly didn't happen in their generation, right? So here's the key to that. The these things is the clue. Okay, so every time he says that, he's jumping back to 70 AD. Okay, which is, why did Jesus go back and forth? It was confusing for us. It, it gives us something to do, right? To figure this out. And I'll explain more in a minute. The, but he's jumping back to 70 AD. These things is referring to pulling down the stones and the destruction. That's how to understand it. But how can, look at the, the verse he said, he, when these, look at 29, he says, when these things happen, he's at the very gates. Am I saying to you that Jesus was at the very gates to return in 70 AD? Yes. He's been at those very gates for 2,000 years now. Interesting, huh? That's why he talks about the second coming. He says, I'll come like a thief in the night. Like you have to be ready all the time because I can come back at any point. That's the point of this. It's saying that he could come back at any point. So all those things, the destruction of Jerusalem happened in 7 AD. All right, here is how you can trust Jesus. Look at 31. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. How much of what Jesus said about 70 AD was accurate? 100%. It absolutely happened that way. So much so that, you know, liberal scholars, those who don't think Jesus even, that God even wrote the Bible, they read this and they say, oh, it's absolutely about 70 AD. They just had to write after 70 AD so they knew what would happen and so they could pretend like it happened, they wrote it before. That's how, it's, how much it's clear. 100% of what Jesus said that it would happen in 70 AD happened just that way. Because of that, you can trust that everything he says about the second coming is going to happen just like he says. Does that make sense? If, if a prophet says prophecies and they happen exactly what he says, this happens with investors all the time, right? If someone gives really good investment advice, other people will say, well, last time he was right, we think we can trust him this time. Everything that Jesus said about 70 AD happened. And so therefore, we know that he really will come on the clouds. He really will gather you from the four corners of the earth. Praise God for that. We can take comfort. You can really trust Christ Okay, so to our third point, stay awake. So hopefully you haven't fallen asleep yet, but stay awake. Jesus means more than just not being asleep. Look at our next section. Let's just read the first word of verse 32. But, okay, my English teachers, what happens when something starts with but? You know we have a change, don't you? Blah, 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 but. Okay, so we would guess something's going to change in what he's talking about. Let's see if it's right. But concerning 
that day or that hour. You see how he's talking different? He kept saying, when all these things, because he wanted them to know when the 70 AD would happen. But then about this, look what he says. He says, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the son, not even the fa- but only the father. Okay, we're probably talking about the second coming, right? Do you see the difficulty? In either view, if you take it all to mean either, you're like, this doesn't all fit into either bucket. Pieces of it fit into to each bucket. Okay, so now we're back to end times. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven. Not the sun? Kids, wasn't Jesus God? Was Jesus God? Yeah. How in the world does he not know when he's coming back? Doesn't seem weird to you? Isn't that what it said? Not even the sun. You see, one of the interesting things about when Jesus was here, he didn't have all knowledge all the time. Remember a few weeks ago? He went to a fig tree. He was hungry. He was surprised to find there were no figs. He did not have infinite knowledge about that fig tree. That Jesus, in his human nature, he was fully God and fully man. And so in his full manhood, he didn't always know everything. So while he was here on earth, he didn't know when he would come back. It's wild. Verse 33. Be on guard. Keep awake. You do not know when the time will come. Okay, now he's going to tell this little mini parable. Look at verse 34 and following. Let's see what this means. He says it's like a man going on a journey, okay? Man leaving on a journey. When he leaves home, what does he do? He puts his servants in charge. Each has his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Um, kids, look, and if you have it, listen for every time it says stay awake, okay? Count them, okay? And if, you, if parents, you can even circle it there. It's, it happens a number of times. Kids, you can look at the passage and go back to verse 32. It's going to be a bunch of times. Okay, therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he comes suddenly and finds you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. All right, how many times does it say stay awake or something close to that in that passage? Can you show me with your fingers? Close, it's even more than that. Yep, four times. Hey, if he repeats something four times, he probably means it. Four times. Okay, well, what did the parable mean? Okay, that makes, I, okay, he's, a man goes on journey, he leaves his servants in charge, and then you don't know he's coming back. All right, teenagers, this might be fitting for you. Who here is babysat? Or some parents, you get babysitters. Okay, when you're babysitting, um, should you fall asleep while the kids are watching TV? Even some of the young kids know that, right? You get in big trouble. Can you imagine the parents coming back and you're asleep on the couch and the kids are like running around? Uh, that'd be the last time you babysat for that family, right? Stay awake. Stay awake. So just like with this, you don't know when the master's coming back. That's the point of this. So you should be alert all the time. You see, one of the reasons that Jesus didn't want to say, he could have said, hey, all this is going to happen in your generation, but the rest is going to happen in like thousands of years. Oh, that would really help them stay alert, right? So it, that's what was necessary that we've never known. We still don't know. He could come back at any point. And it's always been true. Every generation, he said, stay alert, stay awake. You don't know when he's coming back. Kids, do you play sports? Play sport? So if you, say you were playing soccer and you were the goalie, and uh, what might the coach say to you? He might say, hey, stay alert. He might say, stay awake. 
Like, be ready for that ball to come. Don't be daydreaming, looking around, and kicking the sand, right? Or what about baseball? You're in the outfield. No balls have come out there for a long time, and you're sitting there looking around, playing with your glove, right? And the coach yells, hey, stay awake out there, right? This is the same thing Jesus is saying. Right? But it's not that we've been in the, the goal box or the outfield for like 15 minutes or 20 minutes. It's been 2,000 years. That's long enough to fall asleep. What about you, Christian? Are you getting a little drowsy? How's your Christian life? Are you alert? Are you awake? Spiritually, I'm speaking of. You see, this is the point of this. This is the point of this. You think maybe more from a military side of a Marine standing guard, night guard. That'd be easy the first few minutes. Wait till six hours later, right? Nothing's happened. He's just looking out there in the darkness. He better stay awake. You never know when an ambush is coming. This is the point of this. Now, I guarantee now if there's bullets zinging by and there's an ambush, that Marine is very alert, right? But see, we often are lulled. See, our country spends billions of dollars each year to lull us to sleep, right? They make, they come up with algorithms on Facebook and YouTube and all kind of other things, right? To try to just lull you comfortably on Netflix. Next video will start in five seconds, right? Just to keep you, just to lull you slowly. How are you doing? Are you being lulled to sleep? Have you ever done the math about like how much entertainment you consume in a week? There's nothing wrong with entertainment. Usually the problem is quantity of it, right? I mean, after a number of hours, how are you feeling? Are you really alert and ready to go serve Jesus? Right? And so from this, I want to talk about three ways to stay awake. All right? There's three different contexts. Because hasn't he given us, he left us his servants with stuff to do. Don't you have work to do? Fathers, mothers, children, retired singles. There's stuff God's given us to do. How are we going to stay awake? Okay, three ways. First one is what you're doing right now. Hey, you can check this box. Come worship Jesus on Sunday. This is a great way to stay awake. We're gathered together. We're all doing the same thing together. We're singing together. We're confessing our sins together. It has been happening. Remember the call to worship? Ever since, every Sunday for 2,000 years, people, believers, have gathered together to worship Jesus waiting on his return. Isn't that cool? Every Sunday. From the time that verse was, was written back in Luke, that after the ascension, they went and worshiped on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. Every Sunday. This is, we're going to continue to do this until Jesus comes back. This is the first way. Fathers, let me speak to you. This is important to, for you to lead your families so that on Sunday, you guys are worshiping Jesus. You don't know when he's coming back. Look at that verse right in the middle there. It said, what if he comes back at midnight? What if he comes back when you're on vacation? It's really inconvenient. Ooh, I got personal there, didn't I? It's true. I mean, if he comes back on some average Sunday and we aren't worshiping him, well, I got a pass because I was traveling, I was camping that weekend. And so don't, don't worry, you don't have to come here. This is not the only church in the world. There's churches all over the place. But on Sunday, fathers, I encourage you to take your family to church. It will help keep you spiritually awake. Okay, that's the first way. On the Lord's day, worship Jesus. There's a second way. Sorry, fathers, you're on the hot seat again. As a family, worship Jesus. You know, your children, don't you love that? that don't you want to be able to say Joshua 24, 15? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. How in the world are you going to accomplish that? Have you thought about that? Like what practically are you doing 
to be able to say that. That as for me and my house will serve the Lord. This is a key way that God intends that fathers do this. Whether you have kids in the house or not, that you would lead your family. Whether it's a family of, of just a spouse, even single, you need to be preparing. One day you'll be doing this. Lead your family in family devotions. If you don't know how and you've never done it, just ask Brandon or I. We would love to resource you and give you some stuff to just get started. This is something I'm passionate about. I didn't grow up with this. Someone introduced me to this at a church very much like this a lot of years ago, maybe 15 years ago. I was like, oh, I've never even been exposed to this. And I began it. And now I can't imagine life without it. Like, how in the world would I teach my children if I didn't like day after day, like open up the Bible with them while they're scoffing down dinner? It's really important, dads. That's the second way. Sunday, family devotions. The third way, like when you get on the airplane, what do they say? When the oxygen mask drops, put on you and then your kid. It's personal. It's personal. The best way between Monday and Saturday, between Sundays, that you would stay awake spiritually is to read your Bible, to pray by yourself. Kids, if you know how to read, you're old enough to read your Bible. You should be reading your Bible. You should be developing this habit. Parents, help kids do this. If you can graduate them out of your house, and yes, we want them to learn reading and arithmetic and everything else and how to clean you know, the rooms and everything else, right? But they, that you would have a conviction, a personal conviction to read your Bible on your own because you know it's important. That's one of the things that we hope for you kids and all you adults. Those are the three things. Personally, worship Jesus. As a family, worship Jesus. And then finally, on Sunday, worship Jesus. If you can do those three things, it will greatly help you stay awake. God intends that we do this. We don't know when he's coming back. And my heart's desire for all of us is that he would not come and find any of us asleep. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we need help with that. You've called us this high calling. But I and, and every other father and every other mother, every other child, Lord, we just are weak. Lord, we're like we're riding on an escalator backwards. Lord, the world just pushing against us. My flesh pushes against me. My Satan pushes against me. Lord, I pray that you would help us all to stay awake. Lord, please, please help us. Lord, we know you're coming back. We know that we can trust you. It brings us comfort to know that one day you will come on a great white horse and sweep us off our feet and take us to glory. Lord, even if we die before then, Lord, we know that we'll immediately be with you. And you'll comfort us. So Lord, I pray that they would hear that comfort. Would not miss through all the different difficult verses, the big picture, that you're coming back and that they can trust you, that you'll comfort them. Lord, please comfort them as we strive to stay awake waiting on your return. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us stand and sing as we close out our service, singing the last song, Saved My Soul.